welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Church, why don't you stand with me for the reading of the word this morning? And we're going to read uh, uh, Psalm 139, verses 15 through 17, and then, and then I'll pray. All right, everybody with me. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. But I just thank you for your word this morning. And I thank you for uh, life in your word, God, and power in your word, Lord, and hope in your word. Peace in the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody can be seated. Thank you, Nikki. Nikki on the keys. Can we give Nikki a hand? Nikki on the keys. We have t-shirts if you're not aware. Truly, we, we do. All right. Well, if you don't know, church, we, um, we had a horrific loss this week. Um, Saturday, uh, Saturday early in the morning, my brother-in-law called me, and um, my nephew Finney passed away. Uh, he had been battling cancer for six weeks, and we had been praying and fighting with uh, their family uh, on behalf of Finney's life, and he is now with Jesus. And um, we as believers, we... Uh, we hope in the miraculous. It's one of the things that makes our church a little different than maybe the average church. We we pray for God to do the impossible. It's just kind of what we do. It's uh, it's par for the course for us, and um, he doesn't always do it, and we don't know why. We don't know if it's God or the devil or us or any of those things. Uh, we try not to answer, ask those questions, um, but we we know that this is true. If we don't pray, nothing will ever happen. If we decide to be a people that say, ah, this is not a real deal, this God thing is not really real, it's like a hope and maybe when I die I get a, I get a good deal out of it. No, that's not how we live our lives. We live like God is actually real and that he can actually do things in this actual earth. And so um, now we pray for uh, Lee and Julie and the family and we pray that the peace of God is with them. Um, they are in a place of absolute tragedy um, just as we've, as we kind of were walking through this with them, I had a dream one of the nights that uh, we lost Goldie and uh, that Goldie passed away. Uh, I, and I don't know if it's the devil or what, but Friday, uh, Thursday or Friday, they were playing at the playground and Goldie fell and smashed her face and lost a bunch of teeth and was bleeding from the face. And, and you know, as a, uh, Bethany's calling me shaky and doesn't know what to do. And and get it get at the emergency room and I get to the emergency room and because of the COVID rules they won't even let me go back to be with Goldie and Bethany um, it's just like it's totally insane like they're just standing in a, in a room can I just also stand in the room no you cannot it's just beyond it. anyway um, but I, I had this dream and I just the sense of loss in my dream of the, the, the loss of gold, losing Goldie was so deep I don't think I've felt anything like that before. And maybe God showed me just a glimpse of that. Because the Bible says uh, to weep with those who weep, and I'm a fighter. I fight. I'll fight you right now. (laughs) And sometimes uh, fighters need to be shown the heart of God for a friend or a family member because the Bible 
instructs us to weep with those who weep so we can stand alongside. And, and even Jesus, as you know, uh, with Lazarus, and we'll get into it a little bit later. You know, he knows what's going to happen. He knows there's going to be ultimate re resurrection. He knows there's going to be an ultimate win. He knows at the end of the day, he's going to wrap the whole thing up and it's going to be victory and glory and beauty. He knows the whole story and yet he weeps. And I love that about Jesus. You know, I love that he's not like some hard monolithic God in, in, uh, sitting in the heavens saying, you, you're just you're too stupid. You don't understand. But no, that he comes with us and he sits with us in our pain. He's beautiful. He's a beautiful God. Amen. So this Sunday, serendipitously, is, is the Sanctity of Life Sunday. It is the Sunday where churches around the country talk about the importance of life in the womb, of the significance of life itself, of the power of life. And yesterday there were uh, many thousands that met on the, on the mall of Washington, D.C., and they were praying for uh, Roe v. Wade to be overturned and uh, Casey to be overturned and the Supreme Court precedent that followed those cases. And they were praying for uh, a, a conviction over uh, the, that sin in our nation and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, I'm not going to talk a ton about it, but I'm going to talk a little bit of, uh, about it, and I'm going to weave it into Jesus' love for Lazarus and his love for life and his desire for, for life um, to flourish in us. So the first scripture I want to share with you is Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says this. It says, Then the Lord, formed, the Lord God formed a man, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And so Genesis chapter 1 is the story of creation, that God goes through the days of creation, and it shows how he creates the world. But then Genesis chapter 2, there's a more intimate story of how he creates the world, and specifically how he creates man. He doesn't just speak man into existence. It's not a long-distance baseball throw. It's not something that's far away. It's something that's very close and very intimate. And he takes from the dust of the earth, which in some ways represents just the, the fundamental things of this planet. It's not, they're not the things of God. They're the, the things that are made. And he takes the things that are made. He takes dirt. And, and for us, oftentimes, our life can represent dirt. It can represent uh, potential without life yet, without growth, without, without uh, uh, plant life exploding. It's just potential. It's not, it's not formed yet, and God takes it and forms it. And it says this, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him. And so we have a picture of the intimacy of God that God doesn't breathe into any other creature. He doesn't breathe into the animals. He doesn't breathe into the plants. He doesn't breathe into the ocean. He breathes into man. He, he gives of his very essence, of his life force, and he breathes into mankind. And so when believers represent life and defend life, they're defending God himself. When we stand for the sick and the broken, when we stand for the lost, we're standing for God. This is the great divider in our world. The, the divider that life doesn't matter, that life is not something to be fought for. 
And, and it's okay. It's not formed. It's, it, it hasn't come out of the womb yet. It doesn't matter. It's, it, it's not life yet. It's not important. But, but we as believers, we see this picture in Genesis chapter 2 of this incredible, intimate power of God being released into mankind and animating mankind with the most valuable thing on this planet, which is life. And that's why when Jesus comes, he says, I came that you would have life and life more abundantly. That this life that was initiated by God, this initial breath that came from God, would be more than a kickstart, would be bringing you into relationship with God, that you would know that every breath you breathe is a reminder of the goodness of God. That as you inhale and exhale, that God's grace inhales and exhales in you. And that's why this Psalm 139 is so incredible. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. And the earth is, that, is the picture of the womb. It's the picture of the deep. It's where the seed goes in to the earth and life comes out. And that's what the womb represents. It represents the earth and the seed of God's goodness comes into us and it miraculously changes us. There's a genetic code inside of it and it forms us and there's not much we need to do about it, but just we need to embody it and let it be inside of us. And that's why Jesus says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. That if we find ourselves in Jesus in relationship with him, that, 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 that the gentleness of the dove upon our shoulder is not brushed off by our life and our choices and our words and our decisions and our actions, but that we find ourselves in Christ, then his life forms inside of us. And it says here, my frame was not hidden from you. I was, when I was made in secret, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed body and all my days were written in your book. That's why we believe that a baby, and the smallest baby on the first day of conception, this unformed substance that God has a story for that life, that the days of that life are written in his book, that we can't be a people. Our, our, our world has decided to be a world that says, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. And God says, I saw you when no one saw what you, when you were unformed in the center of the earth. Your frame was not yet formed. You weren't seen yet, but I knew you, and I was forming you, and I had a story for you and a plan for you. And this can be hard for, uh, you know, people in our city, especially, you know, in New York, Christians get saved out of chaos, out of moral chaos, where you're like, it's not a life, it's nothing, don't worry about it. You, it can, you can just do away with it. Um, but I just want you to know that Jesus loves you, and if you've been through abortion, if you've had an abortion, Jesus loves you. He loves you, and he died for you, and he wants to make you whole, and he wants to make all those broken parts inside of you completely restored in Jesus' name. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All, the, all my days were written in your book and ordained for me before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, and how vast is their sum. I love this because it's the body of God's thought and intention 
uh, towards you and towards me. Let's jump into uh, John chapter 11 here. And I want to read verses 1 through 3. And this is uh, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. John chapter 11 is the story of Lazarus. And it's a beautiful story because it shows the it shows the humanity of Jesus, humanity side of his divinity, and it shows the brokenness of people, and it shows the power of God really beautifully on display all throughout John chapter 11. And it says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And that's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible because often we're sick. And because we're sick, we believe that God doesn't love us. Because we have brokenness, we believe that God doesn't care for us. Because there's pain, we believe that God, he, he can't love us. And this scripture declares that Jesus loves the broken. Jesus loves the, the man or woman in pain and sickness, independent of your past or independent of your present, that Jesus still loves you. Lord, the one you love is sick. You know, for a child in the womb, um, the one Jesus loves, even... Uh, as a product of a horrific incident, even as a product of rape, even as a product of chaos, even a life that's surrounded by horror, Jesus still loves. We have this kind of idea like, well, if it was, if it was rape, then, uh, then the life is not valuable anymore and, and it should be done away with. Listen, our lives are surrounded by chaos. Our lives are surrounded by sin. Our lives are surrounded by death and horrible acts. And yet Jesus has a plan for us. And yet Jesus has a purpose for us. And yet Jesus can still redeem the most broken thing in the universe and make it beautiful. My friend Ryan Bomberger was a product of rape. And his mom decided that it wasn't his fault. And she gave him up to adoption. Uh, this incredible couple in Pennsylvania adopted 12 children. Wow, that's so, so heroic <laughs> to give your life to the lost and the fatherless, the motherless. And Ryan grew up with this family. This, he's a black kid and grew up with this white, like most corn cornball <laughs> family of Pennsylvania. And he became like the captain of his football team and the valedictorian of his class because he was loved so much by his parents. He went on to start an incredible marketing company. He moved to Florida. I think he moved to Miami. And he started a phenomenal uh, marketing company. Got married, had, I think, five children of his own. And now he runs an organization called the Radiance Foundation. If you have a phone, you can write it down. But he's got all kinds of videos of his testimony that in the most broken possible scenario, Jesus can turn it into absolute beauty. That's what he does best. Amen? Verse 4. Even when uh, uh, he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, 
It is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. And the sickness will not end in death. <laughs> it did end in death. <laughs> and he died really shortly thereafter. I love this part of the story. Because Jesus, when he communicates to the disciples most of the time, he communicates cryptically. And he communicates cryptically for the purpose of the disciples pursuing his heart and pursuing what he actually means. Seeking him, knocking, uh, like not stopping. And um, ultimately this sickness he was resurrected from. But there was a time that it was in death. And everyone was looking around saying, Jesus, why exactly did you say this wasn't going to be death? And it's death right now, currently. Um, Jesus doesn't always do things the way we want him to. And uh, sometimes we, in our, in our um, myopia, where we get a word from God or a promise from God about something, and we're like, I know exactly how it's going to turn out. And if it doesn't turn out exactly that way, we can often bail on the process. And I don't know how often that God's like, the breakthrough's about to be here and it's going to turn out slightly different than you think, but if you bail out now, if you go into a place of depression and hopelessness, if you forget that all your days were written in my book and all of your life was planned by me, if you forget that, you may not see the promise that I have for you. And if believers would, uh, you know, if believers would, would hold on to the promise of Jesus, what does that mean? There's a, there's a parable in, in Matthew chapter 11, Matthew, excuse me, Luke chapter 11, Luke 11 and John 11 are my two favorite gospel chapters. Luke chapter 11, the, the disciples say, how do we pray? We don't have any idea how to do this prayer thing. Why is it that you get your prayers answered and we seemingly don't? And Jesus gives him this really simple prayer, you know it. And then he says, at the end, and lead us not into temptation. And then right after that, he goes into a parable. In the parable, he says, um, there is a guy and he lives next to his neighbor and the guy has a bunch of friends come over really late in the night and he goes to his neighbor's house and he knocks on the door and um, he's like, yo, buddy, we're buds. We are friends. We know each other. We're in relationship. There's no animosity here. Will you please give me some bread? I have all these people coming over. And the neighbor gets up, he gets out of bed. He's like, you know, I'm in bed right now and my kids are in bed with me and I don't really feel like going down and getting bread. Like, go figure it out somewhere else. There's a whole other world for you to figure this thing out. And Jesus says the man gets what he receives not because he is a friend. I'm going to say that one more time. The man gets what he asks for not because he is a friend, but because he persists. There are many believers that say, God, am I not saved? Am I not, am I not a son of God? I, I mean, I prayed the prayer. I, I'm, I'm walking with you. He does not receive his prayer, the answer to his prayer, because he is a friend. Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And then he gives a form of prayer. And then at the end of it, the cap is, and when you pray, you must persist. 
You cannot stop. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Mar Martha and his, her sister and Lazarus. And so when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciple, let's go back to Judea. And this is uh, incredibly annoying to Mary and Martha. Jesus stayed for two more days. Like, we have an emergency. We have this guy. He's about to die. We need you, Jesus, to show up right now, exactly now. Do it right now. And Jesus decides to stay for two days. And, and um, it, it says it later in the scripture why he stays. I think there may be another reason, too. But uh, the first that says, it says, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And I, I think probably that period of two days, you know, Jesus was waiting as, as directed by the Father so that there could be this incredible miracle that God would get glory. But I also just think that Jesus prayed. You know, the scripture says in Luke chapter 5, it says that often he withdrew to a solitary place. That it was Jesus' custom and manner and method to go alone and seek the face of God. To withdraw by himself. You know, for the majority of the Christian friends, we seek God here in this place publicly with others. Few of us go to a solitary place alone and seek the heart of God. And I believe that God is looking for a people that will not just seek him in the public, but a people that will seek him in the private, when no one's looking, when the doors are shut, when the windows are closed, when only heaven can hear you. This is an incredible part. Um, it says, and he said to the, his disciples, let us go back to Judea. You know, John chapter 5, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, than he that would lay down his life for a friend. And um, John chapter 10, Jesus is preaching in Judea, and he asserts his divinity. He tells the people, I'm the son of God. And they're basically like, yeah, we're going to kill you now. It's time for you to die. And so they basically try to stone Jesus, they chase him out of town, they attempt to kill him, and so when he's talking about going back to where Lazarus is, he's not just dealing with the sickness of Lazarus, the healing of Lazarus, he's dealing with his own life being at risk and the life of the disciples being at risk. And he's going to a place where he's going to stand and declare the promises of God over Lazarus and the family and the whole situation, but he's going at the risk of his own life. And oftentimes we look at the life of Jesus and we say, man, I'm so glad that he had Gethsemane and he was weeping blood and he gave his life up to die for his friends. Can I just say, tell you that was always Jesus' heart? Jesus' heart was always that his life was not as important as the lost sheep, as his friends, as those that he loved. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and you were going back. 
Jesus said, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. I just, you know, there's a time constraint, uh, constraint here that people that are willing to be like Jesus and go to the isolated place and persist in prayer, they don't walk in confusion. They walk in light. They, God tells them what's going to happen. He, they, they declare their prayers to him in the secret place, and they know they're answered before they ever leave there. And that's why later in the story, when Jesus comes before the tomb, he said, God, I know you already heard me. I have assurance in my spirit that you've already heard me, but I'm just praying for them, the people listening, that they know that you hear me also. So that Jesus, in the prayer place before the Lord, knew with assurance in his soul that God heard him. And that he would know that God, what God would do, that he wouldn't leave it walking in darkness, but that he would have light and he would have God's order. After this, he said, verse 11, he went to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, and the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And so then Jesus clarified. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so you may believe, but let us go to him. And it says this, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I didn't understand that scripture when I, when I read it. I didn't just have the context. Thomas's name, Didymus, that means twin. And so it's the idea of, of, of responding like the crowd around you, of taking on someone else's identity, of not walking kind of in your own identity. And, and Thomas is not thinking of Lazarus. <laughs> He's not thinking of Mary and Martha. He's not thinking of, uh, of the, the resurrection potential with Jesus, who's done massive miracles. He's thinking that when we show back up to Judea, we are going to die. And that's why he says, let us go also that we may die with him. This is, this is man's plan is death. God's plan is life. Man is fixated on his death or his self-preservation. God is fixated on pouring his life out. Man is fixated on uh, the fear that comes with what if I step out. And Jesus is fixated on the heart of his friends. This is, the, this is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. A kingdom that's about self-preservation and glory and fame and making it another day and climbing another step and the kingdom of heaven that's about laying low and serving and making yourself of no account and being famous in the prayer room where no one sees you. They're two very different kingdoms. And Jesus comforts the sisters of Lazarus. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, and now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. But when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. 
But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The cry from the heart of a sister or a brother or a family member saying, God, you weren't here in my pain. You weren't here. And the, and, the, and, the, and the reality is, God is with us. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. He's especially near to the brokenhearted. He, he draws especially close to those who are in pain. It's part of what he does. It's part of who he is. And she says this in her pain and in her agony. She says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And that's an incredible heart. That's, uh, uh, that's the position of faith. The position of faith is not a position without doubt or without pain or without loneliness, without isolation. We have, a, we have the wrong picture of what faith is. We think faith is like I am, I'm, I'm perfectly uh, happy and I'm doing some kind of dance. I know it's going to happen beyond a shadow of a doubt. There's never any doubt in me. There's never any questioning. That's not what faith is. Jesus says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. And if you believe in your heart that it will be done for you, that whenever you ask will be done for you. He doesn't say that you need faith that fills your whole body. He doesn't say you need faith that's exploding out of you like a volcano. He says you need faith like a mustard seed. Later in the story, when Jesus is, he deals with Martha first and then he deals with Mary second. Later in the story, he's dealing with Mary and um, he's like, roll away the, roll away the stone. Kinds of rock and roll here. And she's like, Lord, the body's rotting. What, what are you talking about? And he just says, didn't I say if you have faith, you'll see the power of God? And all the faith she needs is the faith to order the men to roll the stone away. She doesn't have to be, have the faith to kneel at the tomb and scream and yell and shout. She needs to have the faith of a mustard seed. And God meets Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I think this is a beautiful, this is beautiful as well. Yeah, I mean, in the, and at that time in Judaism, I don't know if you know this, but half of the Jews didn't even believe there was a resurrection. They didn't believe there was any hope of life after death. They just thought when you died, you disappeared and went away with the ether. But, but Martha is saying, Jesus, I know and I believe that there will be a resurrection. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is an obscure phrase. It's not as simple as it first appears because in part Jesus is saying, I'm the resurrection of life. The one who believes in me will live even if they die, even though they die. He's saying on the one hand, 
that I, will, I can raise people from the dead. Even if they're dead, they can live, and they can live not just live, but live in me and with me and through me. And so there's this, that part of the, of the tale, like, God, you can do it. You have power to do it. And then this other part, it says, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And, and this hearkens unto Jesus talking to the disciples. And if you remember the story, he sends out the disciples to do crazy stuff, right? Miraculous stuff. And they heal the sick and they cast out demons and they do incredible things. And they come back and they're, they're jumping up and down and it's super exciting. And he says, guys, I don't want you to rejoice that the demons are subject to your name. I want you to rejoice in something greater that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The life, the book of life, the book of eternal life, that the Lamb of God would, would receive the reward of his suffering, that sons and daughters would not just have life here, but ultimately that we would have eternal life with Jesus, which is why the scripture tells us not to mourn like those who mourn, not to mourn like the world who's lost everything, but like those who have hope, like those who have hope in a resurrection, in a body that won't see ultimate corruption, but will be resurrected with Jesus. That at the trumpet blast, those who have faith in the Son of God will be resurrected to live with him. And from the four corners of the earth, the sleepers will awake. So Jesus says to the disciples, he's not dead, he's asleep. Because in Jesus, there is always the expectation of resurrection for every believer for all of time. I've never told this story publicly, uh, but I'm going to tell it to you. I was a youth pastor 15 years ago, and I was full of spit and vinegar. <laughs> More full than now, believe it or not. <laughs> and there was a young man that was a part of our church that died. Uh, the car crashed. He was riding, and he flew out the driver's window, and he hit his head on a rock, and he instantly died. And um, my youth group was called The Rising. It was based upon this scripture, John 11, 11. Uh, your friend Lazarus is asleep, and I go to wake him, and, and I had this just imprint on my heart that there are so many believers that are asleep to the things of God, that they're comatose. They're like, they're like they're barely, they barely have a pulse, but God wants them to be alive to his purposes and his promises. And, and we had this theme, and, and I, I just said, God, I, I was at, a, I was at a, uh, a funeral of a pastor when I was 19 years old. And I was a part of the, the, the conference of, of churches that I, I was a part of at the time. And so there was like probably 30 or 40 pastors there. And uh, I was like... Why, why doesn't one single pastor have the faith to at least pray for this guy to come back to life? At least one prayer. 
why doesn't, why doesn't one single pastor have the guts to do this? And I was very upset uh, in my spirit, and I was turned to this intercessor lady next to me, and I'm like, I'm going to go up to the casket and lay my hands on this pastor and pray to see if God brings him back. And uh, I, I, I tell her that, and she's like, do it, do it, go do it. <laughs> she wasn't going to do it. Uh, and so I'm like just praying my guts out like, God, death is your enemy. Death is your enemy. Sickness is your enemy, God. God, you've called us to stand for your promises. Whether we see them or not, we're called to stand for your promises. And I was like, today, God, I'm going to see your promises. And I, I marched up to that casket. And I looked at the body, and I was like, no, he's dead. He's definitely dead. <laughs> he's just dead. <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> and... Um, Years later, I was a youth pastor, probably 27 at the time or so. And I, I said, Lord, uh, please let me go to the hospital and please let me pray for this young man that he would be resurrected. And so I, um, so I ca called the funeral home and they said, I said, I, I talked to the parents. I said, hey, listen, I just want to pray over the situation. just want to pray for everybody, everything, family, everybody. And they said, of course, go down. You can go to the funeral home and pray. And so I went to the funeral home, and uh, I felt like the Lord said to me, I want you to pray for three hours. And so I um, got to the funeral home at 8.11, and I prayed till 9.11. And I was, like, like, I was praying like the time was, like it was, like what was hours was minutes. Like I was blazing in this, God had me in this prayer moment, and I was praying for his friends at school and his family and his cousins and his loved ones and in the community. Uh, I, I just, like, the Lord had me every few minutes switch my prayer to some other uh, group that was connected or touched uh, his life, and, and I were getting close to the three-hour mark where it was 11-11, and um, I marched up to the casket, and I really, really, really strongly felt like the Lord said inside of me, do not pray for him to come back. Do not lay your hands on him. Do not say a word. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm alone in a funeral home. <laughs> I'm going to try it at least. So, you know, I'm shouting. I'm shouting. I'm doing my thing. And just, you know, this is not, like, comfortable. There's just, like, a, this a funeral home. Like, the people, the funeral director people are, like, right there. They're, like, this kid has lost his mind, right? And uh, so, Jesus' name, amen. We walk out, I walk out of the, uh, I walk out of the funeral home, and I, my phone rings. It's a pastor from one side of the town, uh, a church that I don't attend. He says, David, what are you doing right now? He said, I just finished praying for this, this guy. And he said, I just want you to know I was in prayer and I had a picture, uh, incredibly strong picture of this young man standing next to Jesus. And Jesus said, do you want to go back? And he said, please, Lord, don't send me back. I hung up the phone. I got a second call. Moments later, another pastor from a different church, he said, David, what are you doing right now? I said, I just prayed for this young man. He said, I had a vision. I was in prayer moments ago. 
And the young man was standing next to Jesus. And Jesus said, do you want to go back? And he said, please, Lord, don't send me back. And um, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. When we talk about the threshold of life and death and the veil between our plane and God's plane, there's, this is literally where the unknown comes into play and we have faith in Jesus. But I have faith in Jesus and it's not just a faith that stands and says, you know what, game over. I have a faith that just says, God, until the very last second I'm gonna pray and I'm going to believe, and I'm going to hope, and I'm going to try to be like Jesus. I'm tired of pastors that are not trying to be like Jesus. I'm tired of churches that are led by guys that are just trying to grow their thing. I want to try to be like Jesus, and if I fail by doing it, that's okay. And if I fail over and over again, that's okay. But Jesus, he calls, he stands, and he says, my friends are asleep, but I go that I would wake them out of their sleep. And he's the same Jesus today that goes to wake us out of our sleep. He's the same Jesus that calls to our hearts to call us from our stupor and the life that's surrounded by our own stuff and our own things. And he calls us to be awake and alive with him. Church, why don't you stand with me? This is kind of a, this is an altar call kind of message. Um, it's really simple. Jesus loves you so much, even you who are in sin today, he loves you so much that he died on the cross for you, that you would have life now and that you would have life forever with him. He makes it really simple if we'll just turn from our sin and turn to him and have faith in the son of God who rose from the dead, that he'll give us new life. If that's you today and you want to pray with me, just raise your hand and say, David, that's me. I've never said that prayer, and I don't know Jesus that way. All right. Well, let's pray for... Um, can we pray for our hearts that Jesus would wake them up? That we would be awakened to the things of God, the things of the Spirit, uh, the things of real substance, the things that are eternal, uh, the, the things that are valuable, life, the goodness of God. Lord, we just ask right now in Jesus' name that you would do a resurrection work in this church. God, do a resurrection work in King's Church or across the country, God. Let every heart that hears this message, God, let it wake up, Father. To your goodness and your grace, Father. That in the midst of a world that's surrounded by death and fixated on death, fixated on self-preservation, God, that you would wake up your church. God, that we would be those who lay down our lives for the broken and the hurting. God, that we would love like you love. Jesus, that we would weep like you wept. 
And Jesus, we would walk in the grace that you called us to walk, like you said, that greater things will we do than you did. Thank you for faith, God. Thank you for hope, God. Thank you for love, Lord. Thank you for the trinity of that gift given to us, Jesus. God, stir our hearts and draw us closer to you. Thank you for your goodness. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.